بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ سنائٹ از دا سکسٹین آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ Of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik, radiyallahu. So moving on to the next section entitled, His possession of a few priceless belongings of our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu, whose love for our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, could also be gauged from all the various priceless sacred possessions he had kept of his, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, after his leaving the mortal world. So like I mentioned yesterday, he had innumerous du'as from the Prophet ﷺ. But his love can also be gauged from what he kept of the possessions of the Prophet ﷺ. In Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ibn Kathir Sida, volume 4, page 511 of the English translation, Asim, rahmatullah, he said, At the home of Sayyidina Anas, radiyallahu, I saw the wooden ball of the Prophet it had a silver band. So here, one of the Tabi'een asked him, he said, I was in the dwelling of Anas, and Alhamdulillah, I saw the wooden ball in which the Prophet would drink, and he goes, it had a silver band upon it. And in Thirmadi, in his Shama'il, number 195, Thabit, rahmatullah, he said, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu, he brought out to us a qadaha, i.e. a wooden drinking vessel, clamped with iron. And he thereupon said, Ya Thabit, hadha qadahu Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O Thabit, rahmatullahi alayhi, this is the wooden drinking vessel of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is another occasion. So it was a wooden drinking vessel, but it had iron, maybe it was a different vessel. And he told Thabit, one of his most famous students, this is the drinking vessel of the Prophet Add in details. In Sayyid Bukhari, number 5638, in the chapter on drinks, Behaki ibn Kathir Sira, volume 4, page 511 of the English translation, Asim ibn al-Ahwal, rahmatullah he said, I saw the wooden drinking vessel of the Prophet ﷺ with Anas ibn Malik It had been broken. Thus he had mended it with silver plates. That wooden drinking bowl was quite white and made of nudar. The nudar wood, i.e. tamarisk. So stop in the report. So it was the wooden drinking vessel of the Prophet ﷺ. And it had been broken, meaning that it had been chipped. And there were silver plates to keep the wooden ball in tight. Because it was quite white, meaning it wasn't uh, a spherical shape. It was more, you know, uh, lengthier. And he said it was made of the tamarisk wood, i.e. the nudar wood. So this is interesting. Everything that the Prophet ﷺ does is blessed. So there's got to be something about the tamarisk wood. So it's worth, if you can, to make a wooden vessel, drinking vessel of the tamarisk. Because the Prophet drank from that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The report continues. 
Anas then said, Radiallahu, Laqad saqaytu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fi hadal qadahi akthala man qadha wa qadha. I gave water to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in that wooden bowl more than such and such times. I for a long period. Ibn Sirir, he added, Rahmatullah alayhi, around that wooden bowl, there was an iron ring. And Anas radiallahu who wanted to replace it with a silver or gold ring. But Abu Talha radiallahu said to him, La tughayyiranna shay'an sana'ahu Rasulullah. Do not change a thing that was made by Rasulullah. Thus he left it as it was. So let's look at it. So this is in Sayyid Bukhari. So this blessed wooden drinking vessel was used by the Prophet too many times. Anas said it. And there was an iron ring. And Anas wanted to put a silver or gold ring around it. Maybe to further you know, show veneration towards it. But his stepfather Abu Talha said, don't change a thing which the Prophet gave, which was made for the Prophet and he left it. So Abu Talha was teaching that you can't get something more blessed than what was originally given to the Prophet. Hajjaj ibn Hassan, he said, we were at the home of Anas, and he called for a wooden vessel to be brought. It had three bands and a ring, all of iron. It was less than a rub, but more than half a rub in capacity. Anas radiyallahu then gave orders and water was poured into it. We then took it, drank, pouring some water over our heads and our faces. We then sent peace and blessings upon the Prophet so this is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 4, page 511 one of the English translation. So this teaches us the etiquettes. So if you have the, you know, uh, good fortune of any drinking vessel of the Prophet, so how do you, you know, take the water from the vessel? So it mentions that first you drink it, then you pour some over your head and your face, and then you send salat upon the Prophet. Those, it is the sunnah of the salaf to drink and pour the water from that blessed vessel upon one's head and then offer a heartfelt salat the Nabi upon our beloved messenger. And what does it mean? It was less than a rub. A rub is a, uh, is a, uh, a measure, an old measure. Consider also the Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu's veneration for the humble plate of our beloved messenger In Ibn Sa'ad in Istabaqat, volume 7, page 57, Kanzul Umal, volume 4, page 400, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 77 to 8 of the New English Translation. Bahriyah, rahmatullah alayhi, he said, When my uncle Sayyidina Khidash radiyallahu saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa eating from a particular plate, he requested it from him and the Prophet graciously gave it to him. The plate thereafter remained with him. So stop in the report. So the narrator is the nephew. His uncle was a sahab, Khidash. And the Prophet was eating from a particular plate. And Khidash said, please, Ya Rasulullah, could you give me the plate? And he gave it to him. Subhanallah, whenever Umar radiallahu visited us, 
he used to ask for it, the plate to be brought. And we would fill it with zamzam water and give it to him. He would then gratefully drink from it and also pour it over his head and his face. So Umar obviously may be doing his rounds and he'd like to go to this dwelling and they'd get this blessed uh, utensil out. He would drink and he poured it over his head and face. However, tragically, it once occurred that a thief did us a grave injustice when he stole the plate along with other possessions of ours. So, notice the thieves, they, they commit theft, but sometimes they don't know what they're taking. They don't know how priceless something is. So, he, imagine he stole that plate. Umar then came out to us one day after the theft and as usually asked for the plate to be brought. We thereupon submitted in grief, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, it was stolen together with some other goods of ours, meaning we've lost it. Sayyidina Umar was then lost in his thoughts. And after the pause, he said, a pretty clever thief to steal Rasulullah's plate. But Allah said, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Sayyidina Umar neither swore at the thief nor cursed him. So why did Umar not curse the thief? How can you curse the man who though committing that most heinous crime was now in the possession of the prices belonging of the Prophet? So what was Umar teaching us? He was teaching us a very high level of piety. So obviously, we're not justifying his theft. He committed a great sin. But now if you curse him, if somebody poses the question, why have you cursed him? Because he committed theft. Because but he's got the ball of the Prophet or the plate of the Prophet. So why are you cursing somebody? Because he got it unlawful. We'll argue the point. We'll go and take you up with Umar. So all Umar, he was thinking. This is why there was a pause. He goes, what can I do here? I'm upset. He goes, such a priceless thing, the thief. But then he, he actually praised him. He's a pretty clever thief to steal Rasulullah's plate. <laughs> and that's all he said. And the, uh, the uncle of the narrator said, he goes, he never swore or even cursed the thief. <laughs> so again, note, this is how much veneration we should show to anything which is left of the Prophet Thabit, <laughs> he relates, Rahmatullah This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 2008, Tirmidhi, it is Shama'il, number 196. Anas informed us, لَقَدْ سَقِيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ بِهَذَا الْقَدَحِ الشَّرَابَ قُلَّ الْمَاءَ وَالنَّبِيذَ وَالْعَصَلَ وَالْلَبَنُ I gave Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam all types of drink from this wooden vessel. Water, drink made from dates or grapes, honey and milk. So Anas is adding details. He said that this wooden bowl that I have, because I would give all sorts to the Prophet So water, obviously. But then he mentioned Nabith. Nabith is a favorite drink of the Arabs, which our beloved messenger enjoyed. Raisins or dry dates are left to soak in water until the sweetness of it dilutes with the water. Nabith made in the morning was consumed by the evening and vice versa. Our beloved mother Sayyidah Aisha, she said, 
I used to make nabid for Rasulullah If I prepared it in the morning, he would drink it in the evening. And vice versa. This is in Sayyid Muslim Ibn Majah and Mishkat. It, however, should not be soaked so long that it ferments and froth. For if this happens, it becomes intoxicating and prohibited. Mm. So this is what's interesting. <laughs> you got the dates, you leave it overnight in some water or some raisins. And then that water becomes sweet. 12 hours, no problem. 24 hours, I don't think no problem. After that, you got to be careful. Because if you leave it, you'll start seeing it froth. Now it's becoming intoxicated. So look at interesting. Same substance, but now it's become forbidden. So when you say Nabith, some people, and this is the tragedy. Umar radiyallahu, one of the last drinks, if not the last drink he had was Nabith. And the Rawafid, they say the last thing he had was alcohol. <laughs> so they even slandered him on his last drink. But what have they twisted? They twisted the meaning here. Because Nabir is a drink made from dates and grapes. And so are intoxicants. But they have you know, tried to blemish him with this as well. Astaghfirullah. So Anas said, I gave him Nabith. I gave him honey as a drink and milk. And what's interesting, if you look at the hadith of honey, it doesn't say, eat it. <laughs> it says, sip it. Three sips of honey in a month, you will not suffer any serious illness. So why is the word sip important? Because it's not a foodstuff. <laughs> Some people, they do, they start spreading it on their bread. Right? And they what, what are you doing? It's honey shafar, because it's not a food, is it? Not butter. <laughs> right? The sip, the Prophet is telling you a very small amount. If a person is ill, the amount increases, which the physicians are well aware of. And it's excellent for anything in terms of some internal disease, in terms of the stomach. So he gave honey to the Prophet and also milk from that same container. Isa ibn Tahman, he said, Anas he once brought out for us a pair of hairless sandals with double straps. Then Thabit narrated to me afterwards from Anas that they were no other than the sandals of Rasulullah. So the Lord said, This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 3107, 5857 to 8. Then in his Shema'il, number 77, Ibn Kathir, see the volume 4, page 510 of the English translation. So now what's mentioned? So in this flawless report in Sayyid Bukhari, he had a pair of sandals and there was no hair on them, meaning it wasn't from any, you know, like a camel or whatever of that nature. There was no hair on them. It had double straps. And Thabit then asked Anas, and Anas said, these were the sandals of Rasulullah. So now question, what are you supposed to do with the sandals? So you got the bowl. Obviously you drink from that, you pour it, and you send salat upon the Prophet. The sandals of a tabarrak, right? Which I mentioned in some of the previous sessions. I right? had to get the blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you'll notice some people have got the image of the sandal of the Prophet. Right? They haven't got the sandal. And that is exactly the image. That is how the Prophet wore. So Anas had the honor of having those sandals. As mentioned earlier, his venerable stepfather and noble mother had the honor of distributing the priceless shaved hair of Rasulullah during the farewell hajj. In Ahmad in his musnad, Anas he said, 
when Rasulullah shaved his head in Mina, he gave me the hair from his right side and said, O Anas, take it to your mother, Um Sulim. When the companions saw what Rasulullah gave to us, they thereupon began to compete to take their hair from the left side, and everyone was taken a share from that. Let's look at this. So this is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad. So he's in Mina. So Mina means this is Hajj. In Umrah, you don't go to Mina unless you go, you go sightseeing. Right? So this was the farewell Hajj. And he shaved his hair. He, this is the only time he took all of all of his blessed hair off. And he gave the hair from his right side to Anas. And he goes, give it to your mother. Meaning, let her distribute when the companions saw that, they began to keep compete to take the hair from the left side. He goes, the Prophet is giving his hair. And they start competing. Thus it would not come as any surprise to learn that Anas Lanho was one of those fortunate souls who possessed some of these priceless hairs. Referred to Al-Isaba 1-71. So obviously, you know, it would be ludicrous to say that he distributed it and then he forgot himself. But there's a report mentioning he not had just one, he had many hairs of the Prophet. Indeed, such then was their eagerness for this hair that they would not allow it to fall even to the floor. In Sayyid Muslim, number 5750, Anas said, I saw when Rasulullah got his hair cut by the barber that his companions would come around him and they eagerly wanted that no hair should fall but in the very hand of a person. Subhanallah. So in this flawless report in Sayyid Muslim, when they knew the Prophet was distributing the hair, they, the best way to describe it, they encircled the Prophet. And when the hair was falling, not a single hair <coughs> fell on the ground. Because the veneration. And the Prophet then obviously told them to distribute this. So here, like I mentioned, there's a very interesting point. Hafiz Zurqani, Rahmatullah, in his Sharh al-Mawahib, he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa only divided his hair amongst his companions, so that it would be a continuous source of blessing for them, a reminder for them, as though he was indicating his time was near. He also chose Sayyidina Abu Talha, radiyallahu, as a way of indicating this. How? For it was Sayyidina Abu Talha radiyallahu who dug the noble grave and bricked up the walls of the prophets. Look how amazing. On the face of it, it looked like the prophet was showing his great generosity again, which is true. But what was the deeper meaning? The deeper meaning was, I'm ready to leave the world. It's very close. So how do you deduce that? Because the prophet who did he say to take the hair? He told Abu Talha. So why is he of all of the Sahaba that Abu Talha? Because Abu Talha dug his grave. So the Prophet was telling him, take the hair. And he took the lahad of the Prophet. These hair are so priceless that Abida had said, No doubt if I had a single hair of that, it would have been more beloved to me than the whole world and all that it contains. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 170. So the Salaf knew the, the worth of the hair of the Prophet. Now think about that. 
if somebody offers you the entire wealth of the world for something, wouldn't you exchange it? You'd think, of course I'll exchange it. What's worth more than the whole world's wealth? The Salaf would say, no, you wouldn't. And what would they not exchange for the wealth of the entire world? One hair of the Prophet. So what does that tell you about their love for the Prophet? So now, another deeper point here. Um, Hafiz Zahabi, Rahmatullah, he said, if this is the worth of the hair of the Prophet and how much they would not even give it for, then what is the virtue of visiting the Prophet he goes, even if you spend the entire wealth of the world to visit him, he goes, it would still be an excellent bargain. So look how the scholars start deducing things. You know, we need the reports, and we don't think much about them, we think, mashallah. But the scholars are like, you know, the heirs of the prophets, they start inheriting the knowledge of the Prophet. So this shows that when you go to the Prophet, it's priceless. Because you're not just going to a single blessed heir of the Prophet, you're going to the person himself. Sayyidina Ali, he relates in Kanzul Umar, Rasulullah had one of his blessed hair in his hand and he warned us, whoever gives difficulty to one of my hairs, then for that person paradise is forbidden. So now what does that mean? If paradise is forbidden to you, that means you're an unbeliever because the Quran says paradise is forbidden. To the unbeliever. Right? So, how have you become an unbeliever? By disrespecting one hair of the Prophet. So, a person goes, That's hard to believe, brother. The Prophet said it. And now, look how interesting. Even in English, there's a figure of speech. I would not harm a single hair in his body. So, that doesn't mean literally. What it means is we would not give any trouble to that person. Because he's beloved to us. But what did they use to get the point across? The hair. Because we wouldn't hurt a single hair of his body. So forget that. That's a saying. The Prophet said, whoever gives difficulty. Now what does that mean? How can you give difficulty to a hair? So the scholars, they say, it means you must show utmost veneration for anything from our beloved messengers. Otherwise, your iman is jeopardized. So now look how interesting. In Surah Hujarat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, O you who believe, do not raise your voice above the Prophet lest you lose your deeds and you are unaware. So somebody goes, is that a verse? Yes. Surah 49. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's not talking to the unbelievers. He's talking to the unbelievers. No, he's talking to the believers. Do not raise your voice above the Prophet, lest your deeds come to nothing. So one of the scholars, he didn't understand this verse. Because when your deeds come to nothing, it means that you've lost your iman. That's one of the meanings of that. So he asked, his name was Mufti Shafi, rahmatullah He asked his teacher, Maulana Ashraf Ali Thanwi, rahmatullah what does this verse mean? Does this verse mean that if you raise your voice above the Prophet, you're an unbeliever? So Mawlana Ashraf Ali Thanwi said, no, it does not mean you're an unbeliever. But it means you may die without Iman. So what he was saying was, it doesn't mean you become an unbeliever. But it means that you've upset Allah the Almighty so much 
you're going to die with that iman. So that's one meaning of that verse. So now, raising your voice above the Prophet. What does that mean? Right? So, a hair, you disrespect one of his hair, Khuda hafiz to your iman. You disrespect his voice, Khuda hafiz to your iman. How did the two sheikhs take this into consideration? Abu Bakr and Umar, they started lowering their voice when they were talking to the Prophet. And the Prophet had to keep asking them to repeat what they were saying. And they were afraid. They thought, if we raise our voice, maybe our deeds will come to nothing. So they were speaking to him very, very calmly. And Rasulullah did that for one of his family members. He in turn spoke very softly to Abbas. So Abu Bakr then asked Umar, is Rasulullah ill? He's speaking very softly. So they asked, and the Prophet said, no. Just as you have been told to speak softly with me, I have been ordered to speak softly with my uncle, Abbas. Look at the status of Abbas. So note, the Prophet there's lessons to be learned. Now forget about the blessed air. Forget about his blessed voice. People have a go at the very, very being of the Prophet. He's just a human being. What are you saying now? What's special about your hair? <laughs> Give me one of your hairs. And imagine, you, you know, I urinate on it. I've lost my iman because of it. That's what you're talking about. Because your hair is nothing. <laughs> if I did anything of that nature to the hair of the Prophet, what does that mean? <laughs> so how is he like you? He says, oh yeah. <laughs> Subhanallah. In addition, the Prophet wasalam, are alive in their graves. Those any parts separated from them are also the same. Does the sacred hair still grow? A miracle which has been observed mutawatir over the millennia. The hair still grows. Ask them. It's quite strange. You know, you cut your hair. I don't know what happens. Maybe it grows for a bit and there's some sort of science behind it. But then it stops. But then you say, okay, but has anybody's hair continued to grow non-stop for over a thousand years? That's what you're talking about. The hair has been cut off. But why is it still growing? Because he's, he, everything is alive of the Prophet. So Allah Ta'ala is teaching you something about the Prophets. Mm-hmm. Look what we learn from the hair. You know, you can actually say to a person, that proves he's alive. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the hair that's been cut off his body is still growing. Mm-hmm. So he goes, oh, that's true. So note the lessons why the Prophet was doing this. And like I mentioned, the companions in Darukutni, they would dye the hair of the Prophet with henna and this was to you know add majesty to it to further you know show veneration to the hair of the why because they were so fearful of showing any disrespect to the hair of the Prophet and then I mentioned of course uh, Khalid bin Walid the unbeaten general never lost any battle in his life he what did he put his victory down to his military genius he put his victory down to the hair of the Prophet in one of the campaigns the hadith is in Tabarani, Al-Haytamir, Majma' Az-Zawaid, Sayyid, and other references. During a battle, he of the moment, he suddenly on all fours, looking for something. So afterwards, the people asked, Oh, commander, what were you doing in the heat of battle? Because I was looking for the cup. And he goes, what is this cup that you were looking for? He goes, I have placed one of the blessed hairs of the Prophet in that cup. And through its blessing, Allah Ta'ala gives his victory. So who did Khalid bin Walid put his victories down to? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One of his blessed hair. 
Now think about that. Could there be a more ferocious wali than Khalid bin Walid? And yet, what did he say very humbly? He goes to Rasulullah's head. And he was so wounded. Why? Because he was thinking now that the cup's gone. Maybe this is a sign that we're going to be, we're going to be defeated. They had that much veneration for the head of the Prophet Another question people ask, what if it's a fake hair? Money making schemes that people do. So from their perspective, they've lost the iman. But from your perspective, you show respect because you don't know. Right? You think, I don't know whether it's the blessed hair, but I'm not going to show any disrespect to it. Right? So you pay your respects. And this is the whispers that shaitan puts into people's heads. Why? Because he wants to prompt you to say something untoward, you know. I've heard people say, it's a fake hair. And he goes, stop for your love, bro. What are you saying? Right? And he goes, no, but how do you know? And he goes, what if it is the hair? Then what about your statement that you just made? And they don't realize the gravity of it. He goes, yeah, but Allah Ta'ala knows my intention. <laughs> so I think, you know, next minute, he's in synagogue, right, mashallah. And just to add this, in Sayyid Bukhari, number 5,925, for Mama, he relates to Anas, my mother, Um Sulaim, used to spread a leather mattress for Rasulullah, where he enjoyed his kailula, his midday nap. When Rasulullah would awaken, I would collect his sweat and his hair, put these into a bottle, and blended them with perfume. For Mama added, Rahmatullah, when Anas was on the brink of death, he willed that the scent be applied to his shroud. So, in this flawless report, they kept the sweat and the hair of the Prophet. And what did they do with it? They put it into a bottle and they put perfume, mixed it with perfume as well. This was then willed by Anas to be put onto his shroud. He goes, scent my shroud with this, this holy scent. Subhanallah, Anas radiyallahu, thus preserved and looked after this priceless blessing for over 80 years. For he passed away at around the age of 100 years. Subhanallah, now think about that. Is it easy to look after anything for 80 years, let alone hair? Imagine somebody gives you something, you know, something very small, a marble. He goes, can you look after that please? No problem. When you were a bike. 2,203. Uh, 2, Don't give me me, brother. 80 years from now, I'll probably be burning myself. What are you giving it to me for? You know, all these things will be. And even if it was something huge, it's still how am I supposed to look after it? And yeah, did it need to be looked after? No, because it's alive. <laughs> you know, 80 years of normal hair. I don't know what happens to a normal hair. You, your guess is as good as mine. Does it disintegrate? Right? What happens to it? As the barbers. Right? So the hair of the Prophet, he kept it for 80 years. SubhanAllah. So all I mentioned today was now some of the sacred possessions of our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the blessed household of Anas radiyallahu. And inshallah I will summarize all this probably tomorrow to highlight what exactly he had and what he was doing with these blessed possessions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the question to pause is wasn't he blessed enough? It's not as if he was, you know, he's got all those du'as, he's a servant of the Prophet, he's this and this, and Ya Bunaya, and Quran was revealed. It's like he's oblivious to it. I need everything. And look at us, dragging our feet, as if we're guaranteed Jannah. You know, even here people say, Oh brother, I don't need to do that. 
He goes, oh, brother, why? He goes, I don't know the zikr. That takes out my sins. You know what a statement to make? I don't need to do that zikr. Why? I know the zikr takes out my sins. I go, all right, no problem, brother. Prophet did it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to do it. Yeah. Prophet did it. <laughs> and he started thinking about it. He tricked me. I didn't trick you. You said it yourself. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs> bihamdi